Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this room and for these people. I thank you for the privilege of coming together. I am grateful that you woke us up this morning, that you gave us the opportunity to go and to come into this place so that we can hear your word spoken. Lord, chisel out eyes and ears out of our granite heads. Give us the privilege of listening to what you have set before us so that we might know your goodness. We might be ready to hear a new message of grace, hope, and mercy. To your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Week five on the gospel. Falling in love with what Jesus has done for us. Giving us hope, giving us encouragement, giving us life, giving us love. And so we've talked about the gospel as the story, the story of humanity, starting in creation when God made everything, going through history with the power of Christ, the power of grace and love forming us, continuing today that we have the privilege of having the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the one who goes before us, the one who goes to the side of us, the one who is behind us, that that Holy Spirit is working in us. That gospel, that grace of God is working in us to transform us. It's his work to do this through us, his work to transform us. And I showed you this group of guys last week, these 12 disciples, and um, talked about them that they encourage us because they're, they're normal guys, right? They're not the rulers and the, the top of the top. Instead, they're just guys like you and me and, and people who have normal lives, who make mistakes. These are the people that Jesus chose to use to literally change and transform the world. I want to zoom in on one of these gentlemen, though. Here is a picture of St. Matthew. Um, this is from a Greek Orthodox church where they have these beautiful paintings around the churches to remind them of the saints that have gone before. And we're going to look at St. Matthew, and Matthew is the gospel that we're reading. We just heard from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew is what we're studying in the um, Faith Roundtable on Tuesday mornings. And I wanted for us to go into this gospel and talk about how he presents this beautiful message. Because Matthew, you see him with a hand, with his book in the hand, he is one of the authors of the Gospels. So when you think about our Gospels, we have four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He is one of the authors of the Gospel of Matthew. So this is credited to him. He is called in his own Gospel, they, they mention this in the Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Matthew was scooped up. I heard this week a, a wonderful reminder of the call of the disciples. Um, if you think of it as like a net, 
and scooping them up. The fish doesn't know he's caught until it's too late, right? And a ton of how these disciples responded. They got scooped up and taken. Okay, here we go. And off on this adventure of faith. Matthew was a tax collector. You saw that. He was a Jewish person in the culture, knowing the culture, grown up in the culture, but he sold out to the Romans. He's working for the Romans. He's taking taxes for the Romans. And so he became an outcast in his own culture. He became looked down upon because the way he made money was he took a cut off the top. He taxed you too much so that he could get his cut. Everyone knew that. So he's called to be a disciple. Jesus takes this outcast from amongst the people. His mission when he became a disciple and his gospel is taught primarily to a Jewish audience. I said he was of those people. He was a Jew, but an outcast. But he taught to a Jewish audience. In tradition, they believe he taught to the people of Judea before he left and brought the message other places. There's some disagreement about where he went after that. But his gospel has this uniquely Jewish feel. And I want you just to, uh, as a piece of um, information on the gospels, when we talked about the gospels, we talked about Mark being written first, and then Matthew and Luke using Mark as a guide. And that's what makes up the synoptic gospels, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all feel kind of similar to each other if you go reading them. Most scholars believe Mark was written first, and then Matthew and Luke used it as a guide. Matthew, this tax collector. Matthew, this man writing to a Jewish audience. Matthew, this one who's using Mark as a guide. He sits down to write a story. And he wants to write the story to the Jewish people that by the the time they turn the last page, they need to say, they burst out saying, surely that man is the son of God. That was his mission. The gospel of Matthew is an evangelist, an evangelical gospel, a mission to the Jewish people. So when they hear this story, they fall down and as Townsend prayed, submit their lives to this Messiah, which is the goal of the gospel of Matthew. I want us to do something that we just did in Faith Roundtable because I think it's a, it's a cool way for us to get to this place of understanding the gospel of Matthew. If you can open up your Bible, the pew Bible in front of you, or um, if you brought your own Bible, that would be wonderful. Um, open it up. And in the Bible, there are these headers. A quick biblical aside. The headers were not originally in the Bible. Later editors added the headers into the Bible, okay? So they are not the inspired parts of the Bible. They're very, very helpful for us, though. But always know when you're doing Bible study that because an editor said, oh, here's where a header goes, you're allowed to read the verses before it or the verses below it. Uh, That was the way it was intended, right, to get that whole flow of the story. But what I want to do is this. I want to use the headers of the first couple chapters of Matthew for us to get situated in the gospel of Matthew. I said to you that he's writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing so that on the last page, they need to submit their lives to Christ. So how does he set us up? 
How does he set up this story? Well, if you use my Bible, and this is the one that I just took the headers out of, this is how um, it lists. The first thing is the genealogy. It starts, you can see in Matthew 1, it starts by going through and showing how Joseph's genealogy, where he came from. Why is this important? Well, if you go back to the very beginning of the genealogy, you'll see that he is from the house of David. His lineage goes back to David. So the Messiah, all the Jewish people knew, was going to come from the house of David, their great king. So right at the bat, Matthew shows us this man has the authority, has the credentials to be Messiah because he's born of the house of David. Now, none of us can choose where we're born, right? You had no say in the matter. This is a God thing. God showing, leading up to Jesus. So we have the genealogy. Then from there, you have the birth. And the birth story here in um, Matthew is pretty short. Most of the birth stories we think of when you think of the Christmas story is from the Gospel of Luke. Um, He really fleshed out the birth story. But it moves then into the visit of the wise men. Matthew is the only one who has the wise men. Wise men show up. Why is this important? Well, I think, let me back up. A couple of years ago, in fact, maybe on last year as well, a man came and he preached from Chosen People Ministries. And he taught on the Christmas story and some of the Jewish roots of the Christmas story. One of the things he said was something that I had never heard before a couple of years ago. And it was, um, I didn't learn it in seminary. I know, surprising that there are some things you don't learn in seminary. Um, and what he t- said was, the lineage of the wise men who are these wise men? Well, they're from the east. When the Israelites got taken into exile by the people of Babylon, the Babylonian exile, which is one of the largest tragedies in the life of Israel, they were taken east. Still, there were people worshiping Yahweh God. Primarily, we read about this in the summer, the group of Daniel. He argued these wise men are disciples of this Daniel group in the East looking for signs for the Messiah. So they see the star, they start traveling because God has planted in the sky a sign that he's the Messiah. So they start moving. And what's he doing to the Jewish authors or the Jewish people reading it? He's going, hey, remember being in exile? Remember the remnant that was left back in exile? They are looking and they see this Messiah and they show up. Even the disciples of Daniel find this Messiah. Then Jesus gets brought into Egypt. And if you are Jewish at all, or even if you've been in church for any bit of time, all of a sudden the word brought into Egypt, ding, 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 all sorts of bells go off in your head. Because who else is brought into Egypt? Oh, Abraham's family. Why were they brought into Egypt? To keep them safe. From what? A famine. Through Joseph. Remember Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat, as was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber, right? That story happened a long time ago. Not just a play that he made up. Shocking, I know. <laughs> they brought into Egypt for safety. Why was Jesus brought into Egypt? For safety. King Herod's out there trying to massacre all of the kids to find his rival. Brought into Egypt, stays in Egypt, 
While he's in Egypt, this massacre of the infants happens. Again, bells going off in people's minds. When else did a massacre of infants happen? Oh, with Moses. Trying to make the people of God smaller because they're becoming too many. And then brought out of Egypt. This story of into Egypt for safety, massacre of infants brought out of Egypt, is the Jewish story. It's their salvation act. It's the Exodus. Comes out of Egypt, and then there's a man. Mine says proclamation of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. There's a man who Jesus later says, there's been no prophet ever greater than John the Baptist. He's in the prophet with Elijah. So prophets are calling out and pointing to Jesus. What happened after the um, Exodus? The prophets came and started proclaiming the Messiah. The prophet is claiming the Messiah. Jesus goes through water, goes through the Red Sea or the Jordan River, comes out baptized. The skies open, the heaven rips apart, light shines down, a dove comes, the voice of God, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That all sorts of authority is given to him and he's brought out into the wilderness to be tempted. When the people of God were in the wilderness and they were tempted, how did they do? Not very good. How do you do when you're tempted? Eh, Not very well. By the way, Girl Scout cookies for sale outside right after the service. Not very well, right? We don't do great. That part's not a joke. We don't do great with temptation. We just don't. But every time we're tempted and we fail, we can look to the evil one and we can say, you beat me, but you never beat Jesus. And I stand in his authority. The temptation of Jesus, and then he starts ministering. Ministering to the crowd with signs and wonders, doing miracles to prove his authority. He's on the scene, right? You can feel the earthquake. You can see the earth start shaking. He's doing things. The Messiah. And aren't you just waiting? Imagine, you're waiting for him to say something. You're waiting for him to do something. And if you have a red letter Bible, which I don't know if any of you brought, but if you go through and Matthew 1 through 3, Jesus does not say one word, nothing, all the way until Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, does Jesus say anything in the gospel of Matthew? You're waiting through all of this, and aren't your heart and mind just going, come on, what are you going to teach us? What are you going to do? Look at this guy. And the very first thing he says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. And to me, (laughs) this is like, um, well, okay, well, you know that movie where Liam Neeson and they take his kids and what's it, hostage taken or taken, right? Is that a while ago? And he on the phone says, I am a man of very particular skill set. Like give my kids back or I'm about to like use that skill set against you. It's a warning, right? The action movie warning. Like things are about to get messed up in here. This is the Jesus action movie warning. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's about to get messy. I'm about to do my stuff. The world's about to change. Come on. I want you, but you want to be on my side now. Right? This is the first line. And he says, it's a, it's a let's not play kind of line. Then... 
He does these signs and wonders. And now this is the part we're going to focus on. When Jesus saw the crowds, this is Matthew 5, chapter 1. We read it last week. It's right before the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountains. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach or speak and taught them, saying, pause. If this was 2023, and you were writing this movie, or you're doing this, you know, HBO miniseries, commercial break, or next week, Gospel of Matthew. Pause, why? We're about to hear something, and, and you've been waiting for him to teach. And you are expecting him to say something very particular. You as the good Jewish person who's been working really, really hard, who's been trying really, really hard to do the right things, you're eating the right foods, you're not eating the wrong foods, you're dressing the right way, you're going to temple, you're obeying all of the rules in the Old Testament, you're about to think the Messiah is going to say, hey, you, well done. You, great job. Great job, you who's been working really hard. Great job. I see you and I recognize you. Pat on the back, hard worker. You're ready for him to say that. And here's the danger. And there's, there is a dangerous sermon that I'm sure all of us have heard at one time in our lives. It's a dangerous sermon that I want to give, to be honest with you, and you want to hear. Okay? It is what it is. And the dangerous sermon is this. You listen to these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the dangerous sermon goes like this. How poor in spirit have you been last week? How much have you worked on your poorness in spirit? Have you found ways to increase your poorness in spirit? Or, blessed are those who mourn. Have you been mourning this last week? I have a 10-step guide for you to mourn well so that you will be comforted. It's for sale in the back of the church for nine ninety nine. Because I'm giving you a list of things to do and you think this is a I do this, I get this kind of transaction. The sermon is right there. It wants to be preached. You want to hear it because you want a list. Make me happy, pastor. Give me the ways to do these things. That's what I want. That's what they wanted. They expected a pat on the back, another rule list. Then Jesus shows up and he does something radical, unexpected, and alters everything. One thing to know, blessed are the poor. The word blessed in Greek can be translated there as happy are those who. Joyful are those who. And this is what I think Jesus does. Jesus has all these people. Matthew set them up on a mountain. Jesus is looking at all of these different people. And he finds one person. One person who just knows they snuck in. Just knows they shouldn't be sitting around this close to Jesus. Because they know what they did last night. And they, they, they can't believe that they're allowed to be this close. But maybe if they don't say anything, if they don't, if they don't make themselves that big, they won't be seen. And they can hear what Jesus is about to say. Whose shame is just right bubbling up within them. I think Jesus knows that person and he looks them right in the eye. 
And he says to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. And that person who's sitting there and is being stared at, at Jesus, do you mean me? You know what happened yesterday, right? You know what I did. I can receive the kingdom of heaven. And then I think his eyes turn and he goes to someone else and he says, blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who are overcome with all the mourning that happens because of sin, because of brokenness in this world, who are missing out, who who are grieving deep within your soul and who are just sitting here with nothing left, no hope left, not knowing where to turn. And I guess you hear about this guy who's healing people and you show up and you go, you know what? I have nothing else to lose. I'll just, I'll listen to you. And Jesus turns and finds that person's eyes and he says, blessed are those who mourn for you will be comforted. And all the religious people are going, no, 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 no. That person is not allowed to hear that message. They haven't tried hard enough. They haven't done enough. They haven't worked. Do you remember what I've done for you, Messiah? I'm the one who deserves the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is radically breaking every mold, every bit, so that that person can know that I came for them. And this is Matthew's opening line. This is where he starts. This is, why, this is why he started by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The opening shot is, I'm going to change the world. And how am I going to change the world? I'm going to give hurting, broken, mourning, tired people rest. I'm going to look at the people who have nothing left, and I'm going to tell them there's hope. Not because of them, but because of me. And I'm going to set the stage for all of your expectations to be washed away so that you can know that I'm the Messiah, the one who takes broken things and makes them alive, the one who takes hurting things and gives them healing, the one who takes tired people and gives them rest. And just go down the list. Happy are those who are meek. For you, you, that one, the meekness is in you because you know how small you feel. You know what sin has done to you. You know how you feel overlooked and outcast. Blessed are the meek for you. You will inherit the earth. This is the gospel. This is is the good news. It's why I think you got up this morning and came here. You needed this. You needed this message like a, you know, a wash of fresh water coming over you like a drink on a hot day, right? Um, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for you will be filled. 
hunger and thirst. The blessed are those who are so hungry and thirsty and they cannot find a sip of water anywhere. They cannot find a bite of food anywhere. They're wandering in a desert and they have no hope. And then a spring comes and that spring is Jesus. And this is, this is why we're here. And here's the other thing. Everyone you meet, they're covering, they're hiding, they're doing something to survive in a world where they are hungry and thirsty, where they are feeling mourning, where they, where they are feeling broken. And we have the good news to tell them that there is somebody who will look you in the eye and who will take you right where you are and give you rest. And they need to hear this story. They need to hear the story of hope. Just like you need to hear the story of hope, they need to hear the story of hope. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And do you see what Matthew did? Man, he set them up. He set them up perfectly so that then the good news came and it just broke every expectation. So that they then can know that he came, not for perfect people, not for religious people, but for hurting, broken, tired, shame-filled people who need to feel and hear the good news that you can stop trying so hard. You're allowed to take a break. You're allowed to rest. There is a God who knows you, who knows everything about you. He says, you, you will inherit the kingdom of earth. Of heaven. You will be satisfied. You won't be thirsty anymore. I'll give you rest. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we do here. And that, like a river flowing from here out into this world, will be the only hope this world has to find rest. It's in this message. Let us carry it out to the world. With, with eagerness and glad hearts that God takes hurting people and heals them. Heavenly Father, we are absolutely amazed at your story. Thank you for Matthew. Thank you for, for him telling a story that breaks our expectations. Thank you for being a God who comes into hurting situations. Lord, this room, as Townsend prayed earlier, this room is full of people who come into this place hungry and thirsty. Lord, we, we cover it well. Those of us in the South Bay, those of us in Palos Verdes, we cover it well. But Lord, we need you. We need, the, we need to be honest with ourselves that we needed a message like this today, a message that reminds us of the good news of grace, a message that, that tells us just emphatically stop trying so hard and start resting in my grace lord we are a world full of sports practices and piano practice and running from job to job to work to work to try to keep this life going let us find one place where we can rest let's find one spot where we can be and sit and relax and so lord let this table today call out to us. Let it call out to us with the good news of grace. Let it tell us again that this body, this bread is broken for us. That your blood was spilled out for us and there's nothing that we can do. 
except open hands receive and to hear these words that this is for us.